And turn four, at the end of turn four, he makes a very awesome move to move up and score his hold up the forces on my left side of the board with my Hannah and my Scavenger. Uh, but this gives me a, a huge leg up going into turn five because he can't kill those models or he won't have a way to score hold up. Howdy folks, Greg here with another Path to Podium. This time it's the North Carolina Grand Tournament, the December decimation that happened last November. We got the three players that finished at the top. Uh, one, the winner being, of course, Cody Hyatt, who's currently first in the uh, wildcard rankings. He reveals some really interesting outcast secret tech that he brought to the uh, uh, event. It uses a model you wouldn't expect to see someone pay the out-of-keyword tax for. Uh, all of you May Fang players out there are going to really enjoy hearing how she brought one player Player to the podium. There's a great overview of a game between Levy and Sandeep in Idols. You Yoko players, make sure you stick to the very end of the episode during the outtakes. We have an interesting conversation about her. Brandon has a great play with Yasunori and a charm order that you 10 Thunder players are going to enjoy. We talk about Cody's signature kitchen table prep, what he does before a tournament, and quite frankly, the results speak for themselves. The top table round five was Cody's Terra against the infamous Shenlong list everyone has been talking about, so make sure you pay attention. There's a real interesting discussion about activation control and pass tokens. There's a lot of meat in this episode, so sit back and enjoy. Playing a tabletop strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports, and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk broadcast. Craig here on the third floor. Today we're talking to the three people that made the podium in the 26-person, five-round grand tournament held here in North Carolina back in November. My first guest placed third in the event. Uh, Jonathan Pravlik has been mentioned on the show before. He's uh, a dirty arcanist. So when you talk about, when you hear me talking about getting my uh, butt handed to me by an arcanist, it's usually John that did it. Um, but you might also know him from uh, our live stream that we did. Um, he was the Marcus player on one of the live stream battle reports. And uh, I consider him uh, one of the better Arcanist players uh, here in the Carolinas Conference. He's also a good buddy of mine, so it's good to finally uh, get you on the show. So, John, welcome to the third floor. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So, John, you're going to get the standard question that I always ask people that are new to the pod. Um, so how did you get into miniature gaming? So Malfo is actually my first miniature game. Um, I got into it uh, from Patrick Kirby. He doesn't play so much anymore, but uh, yep. he's in our local group. Um, had a D&D game that was going on with him, and he introduced me to Malifaux because I was a lot more of a technical player, and he thought that I would enjoy it, and he was absolutely right about that. <laughs> so I didn't realize that, John, that this is your actually your first minis game. Yes. So have you have you tried any other mini games, or has uh, this been your first and only love? Not really. Uh, I've dabbled in the other side a little bit, but no one really picked it up here because of yeah. lots of reasons, so... Yeah, in fact, I just ended up selling my Abyssinia, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, it, it's a good game, and you're a big advocate for it too, John, but I just 
I, I didn't have time. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I needed, if I was going to get a second minis game, it had to be something a lot less involved. Um, uh, but boy, did I hear good. And you are a big advocate of it. You said it was a really, a really nice system. Yeah, I really like it. Um, I just think that Malfo third edition kind of needs to breathe a bit before we revisit the other side. Yep. Yep. I'll be anxious to see what happens with it. Um, cause I've yet to hear a bad word spoken about it. That's for sure. So our second guest, uh, he placed second in the event. Uh, Brandon Lynch, he, uh, is currently in first place in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, John, uh, Brandon, you played, uh, 10 Thunders, um, and you only missed first place by two differential points. Uh, so that was the only difference between you and Cody. So, uh, Brandon, you're new to the show. Welcome to the third floor. Thanks for having me. Good to finally be on. Yeah, man. Now you were kind of a last minute addition, right? It was, uh, you weren't going to come and then uh, a ticket opened up or how did that all come together? Uh, so I was uh, keeping kind of up with it. And then my work schedule was kind of wonky. So I found out week before the tournament, if uh, I was able to go and uh, called everybody up, was opened up with a ticket, called up John, was able to go, thankfully. Yeah, that's awesome. And I appreciate you making the trip up there. Um, so you guys have had, uh, I think, if I remember correctly, you've had two qualifying events um, in the Southeastern so far. And I think you placed first on the first and second in those two events. Does that sound right? Correct. Yeah. Nice. Um, and then, of course, you know, placing uh, second in this event uh, does uh, wonders for your wildcard uh, ratings. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing you at Masters. Um, so, Brandon, how did you end up getting into Malifaux and mini- miniature gaming? So I kind of had a uh, roundabout way of getting into it. Uh, my first gaming experience was Magic the Gathering. And I grew up building model cars. So one day I was at a Magic tournament. Oh, no tur- kidding. Yeah. So one day I was at a Magic tournament, and the shop had a bunch of models. I'm like, oh, cool, they got models. And then someone tells me, oh, do you play the game? And then at that point, mine was blown. <laughs> I was like, I can build and play at the same time. Yeah. So, uh, of course, got in 40K, like so many others. Uh, took it on again, off again. Finally got into War Machine. Then played Guild Ball for a good bit and finally got into Malfo. Yeah, Guild Ball is a good game. Uh, do, you, do you dabble with it anymore or is Malfo pretty much your primary play now? Uh, I still try to play, but it's died out. The tournament scenes died out real big, real bad, so... Yeah, it's too bad because I, and from my understanding, what I'm hearing from other Guild Ball players is that's a lot of that centered around some of the issues that Steam Force has had as far as getting product out there. Um, and, and, and that's too bad because Guild Ball is a damn good game. Yeah, it definitely is. And hopefully we can get it back up and running and I can have uh, two skirmish games again. Yeah, no, it's it's a good game. And I, I would be shocked if it, it died, died. Um, but um, I miss playing it. Uh, I don't have the time to stay up with it, but uh, boy, it was it was the game that saved me from Games Workshop. Um, it, uh, it was my first time playing something that wasn't Games Workshop, and I just realized what a, a good rule set looks like um, and how much fun that can be. <laughs> so, all right, guys. So our last guest is Cody Hyatt, who plays first. Um, I think at this point, Cody has been on the show more than I have. Um yeah. So, uh, but Cody, it's good to have you back. Um, now what's interesting is I was going back and looking at, uh, the USFT stats and you have four events logged, um, and you have placed first in all four 
And there's been a, a, a combined field of 79 players that you have, uh, uh, played with, uh, in order to get first place those four times. Um, and uh, of course, the last time we heard you was on the expert roundtable, um, that we did, uh, which was a real popular episode that we got some good things back. So Cody, welcome back to the third floor. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for all the uh, accolades you just read off for me. That yeah, that's a big deal, man. That's yeah. that's quite a winning streak you got. Yeah, you got chill with the flirt, and you're making me blush. Every <laughs> um, but shout now, out to the floor heads. For yeah. So, and just so you know, and I don't know if it'll happen before uh, this episode comes out or not, Cody. But I've put together a design for floor heads T-shirts. So, oh, sick. yeah. <laughs> yeah I, so, let me on pre-order, bro. <laughs> Um, so I think it'll be good. So I know what you've been up to lately and that's been packing. Yeah. I'm moving to Florida, uh, day after tomorrow. So all of our stuff is in those you pack containers where you just pack everything in containers and then they ship it down. So I'm just in a vacant house right now. I'm in a closet. Uh, pretty exciting stuff <laughs> so it was kind of funny in the uh, local chat cody posted a picture of all of his minis packed up and kind of tied inside of the uh, crate ready to go and uh he his caption was i hope you share my anxiety <laughs> yeah. by looking at this <laughs> yeah it was rough <laughs> so um how many boxes total did you have to pack up i know that you uh obviously had to pack up all your malifo but i think you still have war machine and everything don't you oh yeah i have way too much war machine dude um, I, uh, have like three boxes full of Ooh. war machine stuff that, I mean, like big ass, like Home Depot boxes. I right. Uh, I'll never get rid of my stuff though. I, whenever I sell painted minis, I'm sure you can relate to this. Whenever yep. I sell painted minis, I always regret it. It's never worth the 30% of retail you get. It's yeah. like, I'd rather it sit on my shelf. Yeah. I struggled with it, man. I mean, I held on to my, uh, most, most of my painted, um, Warhammer stuff for years. Um, and finally, honestly, I ended up, and I didn't like, this is going to sound weird, but you might relate to this, Cody. I didn't want cash for them. Like, I didn't want a value like that put on my painted work. So what I ended up doing was trading a good bit of it for the laptop that I use for all the recording and stuff. I got a really nice high-end alien gaming laptop that I do a lot of the editing and stuff on. And like, for me, like trading with somebody, I was okay with for some weird reason as opposed to selling them. Yeah, you, I mean, you get like a little bit better value that way too. And yeah, yeah it makes sense. Feels like you're feeding something without losing something. Yeah. Of. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 like the psychology of it is really odd. Um, sure. but what, your comment lets me know that you know exactly what I mean by it. So. Definitely. All right, guys. So today what we're going to try to do is we're trying to learn how these three guys um, made it to podium. So what was their path? Um, who did they play? What did they play? Um, what were some of the key decisions? in each one of the rounds that really determined whether they won or lost. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to chance to, you know, to kind of learn from them um, as we progress through that. So what I want to do guys is start with round one. So the first round was wedge turf war. The schemes were vendetta detonate the charges, dig their graves, assassinate and claim jump. So Cody, you uh, obviously won your first round and it was a pretty good win. Seven, two, I guess a friend of the show, Jeff Mansker, and he comes out of the Capital City Conference. Uh, some of you listening might know Jeff from the uh, Pandora Deep Dive. Um, so, uh, Cody, um, other than having to deal with Jeff for two and a half hours, how did the game go? Yeah, Jeff is uh, great. He was um, – I played um, – he played Colette. I, don't, I think he might have been playing fixed Colette all day. So here, a little bit of background on Jeff. So Jeff's a very good player, and he normally plays Neverborn. That's his faction. And he fell into a classic trap, 
which is a week and a half before the tournament, suddenly gets a bug up his rear end that he's going to play Arcanist. So he came down to play in a large, you know, one of the larger competitive tournaments of the year with a brand new faction, which was a terrible choice. And it's so tempting and everybody ends up making a, a dumb mistake. But Jeff, Jeff's results at the end of that tournament does not reflect what a quality player is. But yeah, so he played co-op. Yeah, I, uh, I pick Levy uh, more out of comfort than anything. I like just as a little bit of a side, I like have a pretty uh, decent history of choking round one. Okay. So, so I, I think it's maybe nerves or something. Like generally when I have like a good morning, I'll have like a good round. Like like when everything's humming, I uh, I find it difficult to lose like some later round sometimes, but I can easily drop round one. So I went Levy just because... He's really easy. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, he's you, just del- you just delete models in front of you. It's like not hard. Yeah. Uh, so I think with each one of these little battle reps, I'll try to like highlight one uh, particular turn where everything sort of swinged. That'd be great. Yeah. So in this game, uh, Jeff was trying to dig his way out of a pretty big hole because turn one, I had claim jump with Rusty. So I played her very conservatively and took my three shots I get because she's still fast and focused at just the one thing I could draw LOS to, which was Angelica. And I still left her on like one HP. Like she, uh, It was a super conservative play and I flipped super hard. And uh, he was digging his way out of that hole. And in doing so, he moved Envy forward so he can move Angelica back with Presto Changeo, I believe. Yep. And my last activation of turn one, I go, uh... So Emmy's got armor too, right? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, how much health he got? He's like, uh, six. I'm like, oh, Ugh. that's the perfect amount. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> uh, so Levy just deletes Envy turn one. Angelica's oh. on turn one, uh, on one, or like three health. He's just digging his way out of the hole. Yeah. And it adds insult to injury. So turn three was the interesting turn. Uh, I shove Ashes down his throat uh, because it's, he's, Ashes is basically unkillable from, by that crew. If you can't ignore armor and kill the, the um, core, the core, yeah. Then it's he's basically gonna kill, it. especially in wedge, where there's only like ten inches, where uh, ashes can die and not just reform instantly from the edge. Yeah. Um. So he spent a lot of I had the ashes really low, and he spent a lot of effort trying to presto change of ashes, and I thought he was trying to do it to move him to the center where he could potentially kill him. So when he goes to do that. I have concealment, so he has to stone to get it to a straight. A positive, yeah. And then uh, he drops a 12. I have two 13s in my hand, so I'm like, I'll just use this 13. And then he does it again, and I'm like, I'll use this other 13. So his master AP, his whole hand, two stones, all wasted to try and move ashes. Doesn't happen. And at the end of the turn, I see he's telegraphing detonate. So I have a pretty cute play. He's trying to detonate on ashes is why he was doing all this. Gotcha. Where uh, Rusty goes, shoots Levy on the other side of the board and gets in spot for claim jump. Uh, Levy goes, kills himself to teleport to the other side of the board, and then he kills Ashes, denying his detonate. <laughs> uh, so that was pretty much a very swingy turn where he didn't even get his one scheme that he worked really hard on, and I'm still, like, murdering the board. Oh, so that's, that's rough. That's pretty much the story of that one. Well, and losing Envy that, that early, it, you really... It did a number to his firepower and, oh, yeah. and, and his threat 
his threat um, capabilities. Um, yeah, his which, two beaters were basically dead before they got an activation. So. Yeah, and, and that's brutal because Colette Colette needs that that help, um, mm-hmm. and for you to take it out that early. So, uh, so that's a nice way to get things started. Um, good for you. Oh yeah. All right, so Brandon, now you also had a large win uh, round one. You played uh, Nathan Hoyle. Um, he's out of the Capital City Conference. It was a 7-2 win. Uh, Nathan plays Guild, right? Yeah. He was playing Bass. Oh, okay. And what did you bring? Uh, I was bringing Mayfang. Uh, it's kind of funny how you say it's a uh, idiotic play to play a faction you've never played before, because that's exactly what I did. Um <laughs> Now, on that note, I did. I have been playing Mei Fang as a Arcanist since beta, right? So that's why I played her first round. I felt comfortable. I really like her into Turf War and dig their graves as an auto take with her. Why uh, is that? I'm not familiar enough. Uh, so your five point gamins are walking forges, so they can sit in the back and walk, drop a scheme marker. Interact and then at the end of their activation they drop a scrap marker. Got Next it. turn they do the same thing and you you auto get your your uh, end game point. Right. So your second po- your second point's a breeze. Yeah. And uh, what I like to do with May is uh, what happened on turn two, which kind of started turning the tides. So going into the top of turn two, uh, Reihart was at pretty low health, engaged with May, and I was able to use her. Uh, Ability to push out of combat, drop a scheme marker, and then come back in and kill him, and to get my first point of dig. So that's usually a good tech and uh, nice. Well, what was your other scheme, Brandon? My other scheme was uh, claim jump on the metal golem. Got it. I uh, tend to like to do that because uh, putting bombs in your belly and with the concealment makes them uh, really reluctant to come into them. Blast him back onto other people, and he can hold the center pretty well with Sparks healing him up. Yeah, yeah. Now, I've never played against uh, Cornelius Bass. Now, I've read the card, and um, you know I'm familiar with Bass, but I've never actually seen him on the table yet. What was kind of your take on uh, Bass? Uh, he was uh, pretty interesting. Uh, he took uh, five traps against me, which really bogged me down at the beginning until I kind of realized and remembered what May does and I can just teleport out of it. So with her being able to do that kind of stopped his game plan from working and I was able to just get into him faster than he could whittle me down. It's an interesting decision on Nathan's part to do that because, I mean, if you look at the pool, there's really nothing that's requiring you to be in a specific place. And, you know, when you try to do that trap bomb, that can be real, real valuable. I think when you know you have a, a, a lot of schemes that focus you on locations um, and kind of dictate the, the 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 field of battle, which you didn't really see here. Um, so that's interesting. Now you said you usually played historically played May in Arcanist, right? Here you're running her in Ten Thunders. Which of the two do you like her better in? So if someone's a May fan, fan, do you think they're better off in Arcanist or Ten Thunders? Um, I really like her in the Arcanist because she has a little bit more support with the Mech Rider. It's one of my favorite riders, uh, one of my favorite models. And with the Mech Rider being able to throw a scrap marker six inches out after riding with me, you got your 12-inch 
you can go wherever you want pretty much with her right. on turn one. Yeah. And that's funny because it was, uh, often like the conventional wisdom is that the mech rider's garbage, but you, you like the mech rider. And is that specifically just in Mayfang or did you bring the mech rider with, uh, with other Arcanist masters? Uh, I play around with her a little bit in Colette uh, for the fact that you can get four activations with the Corfe duet and the mech rider in one turn. Yeah, that seems good. It's good when it goes off, but it takes a uh, pretty extensive setup to do and can be shut down pretty easily if they see it coming. Yeah, which would usually is a terrible formula for Malifaux. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, you scored on uh, 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 Turf like So you got seven points. Um, how did it break down? So obviously you got two for Dig. I got two for Dig. I uh, got both of my points for Claim Jump due to the sparks being able to just sit behind the metal golem and heal them. Yeah. And um, the totem is able to, at the end of activation, rip off shielding, rip off focus and burning the healing for three more. That's so good. Yeah. So I was able to get both points on that and then three points on my uh, turf war. Turf war. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. So John, you had a nice win five, two, um, playing one of the, uh, Carolina conferences, better players, Jesse Watson. So that was, first off, what a tough matchup wow. round one. Yeah. No kidding. Um, Jesse is a guild player, um, a henchman here in, uh, the Carolinas and, uh, excellent, excellent player, uh, which makes that five, two win, um, even a bigger deal. Um, John, what did you bring? What did he bring? So I brought Ironsides, um, seemed like a good idea for tier four and he brought Sonia. Nice. And I think the kind of like the definitive thing that kicked it off was I was able to use Ironsides to pull Sonya um, like all the way across the board because Ugh. he just positioned her too far forward. Yep. And by the end of turn two, she was dead. That's that's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's OK. It's decent. <laughs> it's a good way. Good. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good master to kill on turn two. So that's nice. Um, yep. Boy, it is. It's amazing, John, um, how easy it is to underestimate the reach that Ironsides has. Yeah, it really is because her lure is a 12 inch and a lot of people don't assume that it's that long because she's a melee beat stick. So, you know, it's something to keep in mind. Yeah, it's really easy to pull it in. So obviously I would say the kind of the key turn was turn two, obviously, when you took out Sonya. Any other key moments that really made the difference? Uh, I think getting um, Vendetta. I had Vendetta on a Soulstone Miner against, um, I think it was a lawyer. It was against something like some support model in the back. I was able to just unbury, charge it, and get my first point, and then bury, and it's gone for the rest of the game until I need to pop it up at the end. Get my second point by killing it with Ironsides. It's two points right there. Yeah, that's interesting, John. I don't think I've ever thought about that. What a good. I mean, I, let's do a whole podcast on how we how uh, we need to make soul, soulstone miners good. Um, but uh, they they seriously need a buff. Yeah, <laughs> they do. So so weak. I'd like to see them on the, the table. listeners at home. Craig's earphones are flying off his head. From the steam coming out of his ears. <laughs> um, but I, I, to be honest with you, though, John, I had not thought about how good they are for Vendetta. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, it's. They're not the best killers, but all you have to do is get something close to half and then just pop them out at the right time, and then you can keep them safe the rest of the game. Yeah, and it also allows you to actually get more use out of them in general because so so often they, you know, they're there to score a particular scheme and then they they vanish. Like breakthrough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, that's it's a good way if especially if both are in the pool, it's a good way to like bluff one and then do the oh, other. Oh, good call. 
didn't think about that either. That's nice. Um, can you go over? Cause we just recently had an Ironsides, um, deep dive. John, do you remember your whole crew? Uh, yeah, so I had Ironsides and Mouse, obviously. I had two Soulstone Miners, one with magical training, because that's the thing you do. I took the Steam Arachnid Swarm with Diesel Engine. I had Fitzsimmons, Arcane Effigy, and the Captain. Nice. Now, is, is Captain an auto-take for you in Ironsides? No, not at all. Um, I took it because of Sonia in particular. Oh, that's interesting. Why? Uh, because she does a lot of shooting, so it, it seemed like, you know, that was kind of a decent way to reduce damage, and I didn't plan this to work out the way it did, but after luring her in, his hammer ignores shielded, which Jesse is a huge fan of shielded on Sonya, and yeah... (laughs) So so if I I, I were to reach out to Jesse, he might have the same love of Arcanist that I do at this point? Possibly. That's funny. So guys, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back from this break, we're going to talk about the round two, which is a wedge reckoning round. We'll be right back. Howdy friends, Craig here. Nothing makes Malifaux easier than having the right tools. Here at the third floor, we love all the licensed Malifaux goodies from Custom Meeple. Not only are they helping support this podcast, they sell custom-made weird licensed tokens and terrain. They sell it all. Crew boxes, terrain, markers, tokens, and even a 3x3 full Malifaux board. Custom Meeple sells a complete M3E token set covering every marker and token you need to play. Custom Meeple are the source for the official accessories for Malifaux. Everything is designed by hand and authorized by Weird Games. Check them out at custommeeple.com, that's with one M, or follow the link in the show notes. Up your Malifaux game and be sure to tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. If you use the promo code third floor friend, all one word, T H I R D F L O O R F R I E N D, you'll get a 5% discount and help support the podcast. It's valid on everything except retail products and playmats. All right, so uh, obviously, no big shocker that these guys, you know, each had a nice win in round one. Um, but, you know, if you ever played in a five or a six round event before, as as you go through and as you're, you know, you're winning, things get harder and harder because you start matching up against better and better players. You can also do the Craig technique, which is lose round one, round two and round three. So by the time you get to round five, you're basically battling the other worst player and you got about a 50-50 chance. But let's talk about what round two was. Round two was wedge reckoning. The schemes were harness the ley line, search the ruins, power ritual, outflank, and claim jump. Now, John, you played um, uh, Patrick Seaman out of the Capital City Conference. Patrick's a real good guy, um, but you had an impressive 8-0 victory. Um, and usually there's a story behind that. So what happened there? Yeah, so I'll be upfront in saying that I, I don't think it should have went this way. Um, statistically, just things happen that really shouldn't have. Uh, I played Ironsides into Leviticus. Um, I was anticipating either Parker or Vix, which I feel like Ironsides would be a good solution for. Yeah. Uh, but he brings Levy. Um, so right off the bat, I'm thinking that this is going to go horribly <laughs> because Ironsides can't do her thing against Levy. Yeah. Um, so I end up just going for honestly a Hail Mary and um, turn two. I just throw Ironsides up into his crew and engage as much as possible. Uh, also during this turn, something else critical that happened is I brought Langston 
and I actually did kill Ashes and Dust because I got two execute triggers and he only had one card and no soul stones. Oh, that's big. Yeah. So that was going on on the left side of the board. In the middle, uh, he goes last with Levy on turn two. Uh, he gets three attacks on Ironsides. I think he misses one attack. And then he go- he cheats his only severe on turn three to go first with Levy. And attacks three more times, misses twice. Oh, that's brutal. And honestly, that really feels like that shouldn't have happened. Yeah. Like whiffing three out of six attacks. And she was on two wounds left and she takes one irreducible from Entropy. Uh, so if he had done a point more damage at any point in this game, she would be dead and it would be probably an 8-0 the other way. Right, right. Now, uh, is he channeling but, those levy punches too? Or yes, is yes, he was. Okay, so you probably did like 8 damage to him on his activation? <laughs> uh, like yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That, that's brutal. So um, at that point, and plus you've got the ability to get Tony healed up, right? With the... with. Uh, what what are those tokens called? Uh, her uh, adrenaline. Her adrenaline. Yeah, uh, a little bit. You have to use her lure to heal her up, which I did do once because it was worth doing. Yeah, but um, the turn three activation after Levy had gone, I went with Ironsides and live in the dream. I'm in the middle of like four models. I get all the adrenaline I could ask for. I kill three models in one activation. God. And from there, he's just like, okay, this is this is over. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that's literally playing Ironsides' game. That's exactly yeah. what you want to happen. So it sounds like kind of the perfect thing. Patrick's, it really was. Patrick's not a bad player, so that must have been brutal oh, for him. Good. I, I, I could tell he was not a pushover. Yeah, that's brutal. This was, this was honestly a fluke. Yeah, that happens, though. But we'll take it, right, John? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> now, uh, round two, we actually have Brandon and Cody playing each other. And they tied each other. And it was the only non-win for both of them. Um, so, uh, Brandon, let's start with you. What crew did you bring? Uh, so I brought Mayfang again. I was planning on some bringing uh, Lynch, but I figured I was playing against Cody, so I had to bring my best. Yeah. And it's just the crew that I knew the best. And uh, I brought uh, May with the Metal Golem, two Metal Gaiman, uh, Shadow Emissary, Sparks and the mechanized pork chop. Wow, how many models total is that? Six models, seven models? Oh, it was eight models. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's right. You had, you had two of the gaming, right? It's eight models, including the totem and. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And Co- Cody, what did you bring? Uh, yeah, so <laughs> going into round two, I was talking with Jesse about his game with Pravlik a little bit. And we we're talking about round two, and he's like, uh, well, a couple of my goals going into this event were to. Uh, try out some secret tech I have for the later rounds. And then two, I wanted to get a, like a sensible levy loss because he's like busted and I wanted to figure out how to lose with him. But I was thinking if I play any kill, kill games, I'm going to not play levy into thunders because Shinlong has to be a bad matchup for him. Surely. So I won't do that. Okay. So when I get thunder, uh, I'm talking with Jesse and he's like, I don't know how you lose round two or looking at this pool. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. And well, I guess if I get if I get thunders, then then I might lose. And, and then of course I get thunders, and of course I get uh, my backup in the thunders is Parker, and we end up playing on this lab board that you've probably seen on some of Craig's uh, TFW pictures, where it's like so little, so much LOS blocking terrain because there's all these corridors and stuff like that. So I was not a happy camper yeah. going into this game, uh, playing my Parker list there. So what did you bring? Oh, I played um, uh, typical stuff. So Sue, uh, Convict, 
Woku with the upgrade, Mad Dog, the Totem, obviously. I teched in Ashes and Dust because Outflank was in the pool, and it's like almost impossible to stop Outflank with Ashes. And I got the decent side effect of his bonus action removing, uh, what are those, scrap markers. Yeah, that's a big deal. Yep. So, Brandon, in your mind, so now you know you're going up against Parker. Have you faced Parker before? Uh, I've played a couple of them. Our uh, henchman likes to play him a little bit. So I knew how to kind of play against them, but Cody took a completely different list than I was used to. What, so what, what was different about it? Uh, the ashes and, ashes and dust definitely uh, threw me off. I understand why after seeing it. But uh, Matt kind of likes to bring a lot of uh, convict gunfighters and do more of a gun line. Yeah, those guys, you uh, you melted them quite quickly, so I'm sure you're <laughs> pretty comfortable with that. I think um, I think we could, if you want, Brandon, we could skip to turn five because I think turn five was super interesting. the 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 story of the game up until five was that he punched in my left flank and I punched his in his left flank. We both were smart enough to not bring a bunch of reckoning points. Uh, all of Brandon's list was enforcers or minions. So he had like eight points and I'm had like nine or 10. So we had both had only scored one reckoning point going into turn five. And Brandon had a really sweet move to score uh, at the end of turn four. You want to talk about that, Brandon? Yeah. So, uh, the end of turn, uh, it actually comes back to the end of turn three where I almost, uh, messed up in giving him a point. I brought my totem into the center of the field to kind of drop a scrap marker and um, forgetting that he's uh, significant, which almost gave Cody a second reckoning point. So I dropped right. the scrap marker, and at the end of turn four, I wait to go last with my metal golem and just teleport him 12 inches into the middle of the field with claim jump. Nice. Yeah, so going into turn five, we both have search. I have outflank. He has claim jump. We both have to put down markers. Reckoning's basically off the table. Um, neither of us are, are like. I think we both respect each other enough to not give each other, to not assume that the other one's going to give them the reckoning point. So I either have to kill the rail golem, get it below half, and he has to try and deny outflank. We both have to get down like one or two more markers for search. Uh, you won initiative, right, Brandon? I believe so. Yeah, I, th I think you went first and basically just put shielded on the rail golem. Does that sound right? Yeah, it sounds about right. Threw up my aura, uses uh, free action throw shielding. So I have Mad Dog in range. Who statistically, if I have like if I drew like two thirteens, I didn't. Uh, but if I did, I could dumpster rail golem like first activation or at least get him low enough. The problem is he has sparks in that list who could heal him. Yeah. So if I go first activation with Mad Dog, try and knock him below half, he could quite easily heal up. Um, you, you almost at that point, Cody, have to get him off the table. Yeah. Um, so my first activation was Parker, which I misplayed pretty badly. It wasn't massively bad, but I basically did one of those things I was talking about on the uh, the uh, the roundtable where I did like a greedy play. Mm -hmm. and it came to bite me in the butt. So basically, I tried to have Parker do at least a little bit of damage to the Rail Golem so that I could get another marker down for Mad Dog and make him fast. What I should have just did was drop the marker for Mad Dog and not try to get the greedy play out of it, not try to get cute with it, and just go for the conservative play. So I didn't 
do that. I dropped like a severe trying to damage the rail golem, but he had shielded and Parker uh, couldn't really get through it. So that basically meant where I, I had to delay a little bit longer on Mad Dog to try and get him fast so that he could shoot him. Um, so, so, so knowing how that ended up, where did you guys deny each other? So Cody, yeah. obviously you, you, you had some denial on Brandon and Brandon on you. So where did that play out? So, um, I'll do a little more setting this stage, I guess, yeah. uh, in that, um, we measured, we, we spent a, lo- a little bit of time pre-measuring out to see if May could get to one of my search the ruins markers. And we found out that she couldn't. And I'm like, okay, well. One of the second to last activations, I go ahead and put ashes uh, where he can get his outflank, and um, then Brandon uh, went and activated May. He could explain that. <laughs> yeah, so I went and activated May to try and deny the outflank point, which brought her over to ashes and dust, and with jackhammer kick, was able to push him four inches outside, just outside of the uh, outflank range. Nice. Yeah, so it was a it was a pretty complicated back and forth where I'm like, okay, how do I make Mad Dog fast? How do I how do I kill the rail golem? How do I do this? And we're both delaying activations uh, appropriately. It it went back and forth. We're both getting our search markers down. We're both making sure the other can't deny the search. And then um, he goes and just <laughs> kicks ashes out of the way, which would have been the winning point for him. But uh, so instead of you know all this lead up to maybe Mad Dog getting him below half. With my last activation, instead he has to disengage, walk, charge, kill Ashes, so that Ashes breaks apart and scores me out flank. So it was a fairly anticlimactic ending, but it was very back and forth and super interesting turn, I think. So, so that last play, Cody. So what you what you did is broke Ashes up in order to be able to score the outflank. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Because I because of a replace effect, you place base to base, and even though he was four inches away from the center. When I placed the core on the back of that 50 mil base, it was within the two inches or three inches. Got it. For outflank. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. Um, so, Brandon, looking back at the game now, um, where do you think you left points on the table? The first round, I kind of messed up a little bit with the port shop. Where I brought him up, I was trying to get Mad Dog to the right, my right flank, which I did, but not realizing that he would die turn one. So definitely probably be a little bit more conservative and use the blocking terrain a little bit better. Uh, who, who took out the ch- pork chop? Uh, was it Mad Dog and then Parker came yeah, behind and finished it off? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was probably my big mistake as well, is that I got a little greedy. I sent Mad Dog down a flank to kill pork chop because it was a free kill almost because I had high severes in him. And I could ignore the cover with the blow it to help. Uh, but that put him on the flank, so he couldn't kill Rail Golem the next turn. Right. So Rail Golem just punched in my other flank, killing Sue on turn one and the Convict on turn two. That's big. How about you, Cody? Looking back on it, other than that, was there any other points you left on the table? Yeah, I basically had like those three greed plays. One which was send Mad Dog off to the left to kill the pork chop uh, for giggles, basically. Uh, the second was that Parker activation, trying to get more damage than I deserved. And... The third was also, it, it was just killing too many models turn one. I didn't need to extend to kill Porkchop. And then I kill, I extended the uh, Sue and the Convict to kill a, a, ga- a Golem. Uh, sorry, not a Golem, a Gammon, a Metal Gammon. 
So I killed two models turn one, which basically meant I was going to have more difficulty scoring Reckoning, and I didn't need to kill those models. Yeah. Like, in retrospect, even if I didn't know that he had Claim Jump with the Rail Golem, that was still the only target I really needed to care about was the Rail Golem. Yeah, that's tough, man. That's tough round one. I mean, when when they're serving him up on a plate like that, and you have the potential of, of, of removing five turns worth of activations turn one on a model, um, sometimes it's worth the trade to say I'm not going to get that reckoning point. Um, but I think to what you're saying, Cody, is that you know these guys were not going to have a huge impact if they were alive for turn two. Uh, so maybe maybe holding off would have been the better choice. Yeah, I usually never hold off, but uh, Brandon brought a very good list for Reckoning in that he, I mean, after I killed those two models, You're outside done. of May, yeah, I was never going to score again. Yep, no, that makes sense. One. All right, guys, we're going to take another quick break. When we get back from this break, we're going to talk about round three. Now, round three was a flank corrupted idols round. We'll be right back. Howdy friends, here on the third floor, you'll find us playing Malifaux and other games on Mats by Mars. They are scratch resistant, waterproof, wet erase marker compatible, and lighter than neoprene. Mats by Mars gives you over 40 designs to choose from. Pick a mat size, pick a design, then choose an overlay like the one for Marvel Crisis Protocol or Malifaux 3rd Edition. It will speed up deployment and the placement of strategy and objective markers. If you're going to Adepticon this year, be sure to check out the Mats by Mars booth. Until the end of March 2020, you can use the new promo code THIRDFLOOR320, that's THIRDFLOOR320, to get a 10% discount on your next order. In the notes, you can ask for the Third Floor logo to be put on your mat for free. Again, use the promo code THIRDFLOOR320 to get a 10% discount. Details are in the show notes. So round three, we've got Corrupted Idols, and it's in flank deployment. The schemes are Detonate the Charges, Break Through, Hold Up Their Forces, Take Prisoner, and Assassinate. Uh, now, Cody, you uh, played a good friend of ours, um, Jeremy Peace, out of here, uh, here out of the Carolinas Conference. Um, there's a lot of things to like about Jeremy. Uh, one of the things not to like about him is that he's a he is an Arcanist, um, but he's a he's a he's a really annoyingly good Arcanist player because this is uh, uh, similar to John's story. Jeremy's never played miniatures games before. He picked this up like seven months ago, and I mean the guy gets in like five six games a week. It feels like, and it shows uh, when you play him. Uh, and you had a nice win seven five uh, against Jeremy. So what did you bring? What did he bring? Yeah, yeah, Jeremy's Jeremy's great. Yeah, like you said, he's a new player, but he's definitely a huge threat. Um, he's learned like super quick, and he has like you know like a winner's attitude. Yep. Um, so he's doing super well. And uh, going into this <laughs> going into this tournament in our chat, I was like, I have three predictions. Uh, and one of but one of them I didn't voice, and that was that Jeremy gets in the top ten. I'm like, I'm not saying that because I'm afraid, afraid that I put too much pressure on you. And then I told him after this round, and then he ended up like six, I think. He yeah, because Jeremy well. did really well. <laughs> yeah, he did great. Yeah. Um, so, but I knew he had uh, Sandeep because going into this round, uh, going into the tournament, rather, I saw his freshly painted Sandeep stuff that he had just got. And I knew that, I mean, summoners are really good at corrupted idols. 
And a lot of the local chatter has been about Sandeep and Summer in these like aura masters taking forever to finish the game. Yep. So I chose Levy more to finish the game than anything. This was like a very good Terra pool. And I think Pravlik actually plays Terras. And Unfortunately. So, spo- so spoiler, it's a good Terra pool. <laughs> but <laughs> I felt like uh, doing playing OP Levy and just killing killing stuff as soon as possible felt like the best strategy to finish the game. Uh, yeah. So this is the uh, first round where I unveiled my super secret tech, which was uh, Hannah out of keyword with a scavenger. Interesting. Uh, so I spent a lot of time on my kitchen table testing this out because like I mentioned before, I, I do that. I play against myself on my kitchen table. Uh, being here in um, Malifaux house arrest, just sort of by myself. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so I tested Hannah a lot because we recently learned that uh, uh, tac- uh, general actions are also tactical actions. Mm-hmm. So for a six, she can at worst be nimble and at best charge again. So she's like pseudo fast. Yep. And if you have a scavenger, Hannah can quite easily on turn two go into a target with fast and focus three. So she punches four times. She has a severe six and pretty easy access to crit strike. So it's not completely insane that she can have 33 damage against a single target, which feels like, Maybe the highest in the game? I don't know. It's it's very, very high. And on top of that, she's bringing Arcane Reservoir, which uh, Levy can bring the Scavengers, which are very impressive with their tools to the job and their ability to draw off the discard pile. Yeah. But I, f- but I find that you waste that a lot if you don't have a like a like a seven-card hand, because you end up getting to a point where you have to you already have the cards you need in hand, like maybe you have a six that you need for a leap. And Ditching that six to get a ten doesn't actually change what you need to do. Yep. So a lot of times you're just sort of drawing off the discard and throwing it right back down. But with Hannah having the seven card hand, you could bring two of those tools for the job and, and walk around with like four severes, which makes Levy absolutely busted. Um, if he can go in and punch things with like four severes. So anyway, uh, to get back to my game with Jeremy, I brought that tech and I thought it was awesome and it was fun to play. So you haven't told uh, us what Jeremy was playing. Oh, sorry. He's playing Sandeep. Yeah. Okay. He's playing Sandeep. Um, and he had like, um, sorry, he had the metal golem and some other Sandeep stuff. Yep. Uh, g- generic elemental gaming guys. And the story of this game is probably turn four. So Jeremy had done an exceptional job of summoning models and just jamming me up so hard um i'm spending all of levy's health just to kill these things that blow up in my face and he's taking damage to throw the markers three and then he goes and he throws that marker again another three yeah just to like add insult he's like i got health to spare dude (laughs) you don't so he's just punching idols deep into my deployment zone um he did an exceptional job with idols so i could i didn't score a scheme until like turn four oh boy that's stressful Uh, uh, yeah, because every time I had to save my Necropunks to try and stay even on the strategy with him. So I could never get over there to score a breakthrough, which was my scheme. Uh, and I had Assassinate, which I got because I'm Levy. Um, but that's a lot of pressure, though, that that Sandeep can can bring into idols um, that, that really t- forced you to to recover using AP that you were hoping to scheme with. Yep, definitely. Um, 
like I killed so many models, but it didn't matter because I mean, it was so many summons and it was, uh, they have all their demise effects, which you just want, you know, just plays into his game even more. Yep. Um, so the game really come down to like the end of turn four. I had ashes and dust standing on like two idols or next to two idols. And he had Bonasuva there. Um, Bonasuva left ashes on one health. So going into turn five initiative, there was a world where Bonasuva could have activated first, killed ashes, and then moved the idol marker where I couldn't have got it. And that would have been like uh, a point, uh, maybe a two point swing. Yeah. Depending on what I could have done with ashes. But instead, I drew the red joker in turn five, threw it down for initiative, killed Bonasuva first thing. He didn't really have the models to score much else. So he got his. Um, so I was able to get the idol there, and that was the story of that one. So it's tied up to uh, all the way up to turn five, pretty much. Yep, and then I won seven five. Yeah. So, uh, Cody, you mentioned the trick with Hannah and uh, copying general actions. Yeah. Did you teach Roper that before this game? Because he pulled the same thing in the same round against me. Yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> okay. Thanks well, for Roper, that, by the way. Roper's in the chat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was in the chat, and I was like, I saw the ability on the Guffs card that says. Uh, walk and charge are tactical actions, and I asked the chat, I'm like, wait a second. Does this mean Hannah's basically a fast model? That's kind of insane. And everyone's like, it seems like it. So since then, I've been uh, experimenting with her a lot. It's really strong. Yep. Yeah, it seems like it. It's just funny that it happened in the same round yeah. uh, against me. It's that like, is, wow, that's interesting. That it's funny. So, John, let's talk about your round. So, you, like you said, you played Michael Roper, which is uh, another player here in the Carolinas Conference, and Michael was playing Outcasts. Um, and this was actually your only loss of the entire event. Um, it was a 2 6 loss. Uh, we know Michael brought Hannah, but what was his uh, master? So, he brought Tara. Okay. Uh, which wasn't expecting that. Although, now that I've seen Tara, I will absolutely expect that in the future yeah um, and what did you bring again again i brought iron sides because i was anticipating possibly vix or parker um and it was it was a disaster from the word go to be honest um i had started to spread out my forces to try to like hold a lot of different parts of the center line as i would expect to do for corrupted idols and instead he just shoves everything in the corner he draws like a 12 or 13 of crows every turn every single turn so he can cheat initiative at like a 15 or a 16 drop that idol in his corner that's protected by uh nothing beast hannah and a um uh like the the dog that she summons or whatever it is i don't know what it is um the wretch the hunter void hunter sorry void hunter that's the one yeah so it's all that in the corner and i'm like well i can't get in that and he he gets you know four idols in that corner i can't stop any of that yeah meanwhile i've got a uh, steam arachnid swarm going all the way around the field because I expected to have to hold the left part of the board and he just sent absolutely nothing that way. So that was like two turns wasted there. Um, the schemes I took were detonate and assassinate, which not great options, but I, I honestly don't know what else I could have taken in this pool. Um, yeah. He did give me assassinate to be fair. Cause he was, he was kicking the idols with Terra. Oh, okay. So I got I got a point there, and then I kind of thought with the uh, detonate charges I could use a union miner to just put you down and lure something in there, but now that I know Terra and he can bury anything at will, it's like well I'm not going to try that again. Yeah, uh, Tara is good, and and I got to tell you, John, I mean what you're talking about because remember uh, I think you and I caught up after that round because you were uh, understandably very frustrated, and it's um 
it's something I don't like about idols is you can have a real swingy game based off of the, of the hand draw at any point in time. Um, and I mean, don't get me wrong. It's going to be rare, but it's such a negative game experience when it does happen. I mean, for him to have severe crows to dictate those idols every single round. I mean, John, that must have been brutal. Well, the thing is, after I saw it the first time, I was like, okay, I'll use Fitzsimmons. I'll use his, uh, his like ranged willpower attack to make him discard and it goes off. So I've drained his hand one turn. The next turn he draws again. It's like, well, there's nothing I can do. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, that sucks. That sucks. I, I, I mean, there's things about idols I really like. Um, but that random aspect of it, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not crazy about it. I think, I wonder if it would be more interesting if, you know, each round, the idols dropped in a specific place and it was different so that you had to, you couldn't just corner up and control it. Like you're going to be forced to deal with idols popping up all over the damn place. And, and that could potentially make that an interesting scheme. I don't know. Yeah. What if it was something like there would be an idol on every point? Cause there's five points for idols to drop. So what if progressively through the game, they dropped on all five points and it's just an issue determines what order that happens in maybe. Yeah. Or what order it happens in, or you, you know, the order that could be interesting too. I know, you know, I know it's going to make it maybe work left to right into the center by turn five or something. I mean, there's, there's, there's something there um, that would, that would minimize kind of that randomness luck factor that I think was fun. So I understand why they did it, but I've had enough games of idols where that's, that that's frustrated me. And just to hear how one sided that made your game, John, that's, that's, that's frustrating. I think if you just remove the crow position, cause that's the swingy position. Good point. Like, uh, especially the, on flank. Yeah. Cause it's, it's, it's wedged in that corner. Yeah. It's, it's, it can be super swingy. I've had games where I put, you know, four idols in the corner in one corner. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. So Brandon, uh, you played, uh, one of the Carolina boys, uh, uh Marcus, uh, who plays Bayou, uh, you had a tight win, 5-4. Uh, so what did you bring? What did he bring? Uh, I actually brought Yoku. Nice. Uh, I've been playing her out and uh, really like her in the idols. As you were saying about, you know, it's a luck of where the idols drop. It's not that case with Yoku. It's where Yoku wants them. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, it's easy to win initiative when you have five or six pass tokens every turn. Right. Um, but he had brought May. And I was, ex- I'm sorry, he brought Ma. Ma I was ex- yeah. yeah. I was expecting a, uh, a focused, heavy, uh, what is that, Bushwhacker Rooster Rider list. Yep. And he actually didn't bring a single Rooster Rider. He brought the Pigapult, which is completely insane with sparks. Yeah. Throw uh, bombs and a Bayou Gremlin and a Pigapult, and there's six damage on any models you want. That was the la- the last time that I kind of lost my shit uh, was the first time that I went up against Marcus and that stupid pigapult sparks deal. And um, I-, I tend to be pretty I like I'm really good at losing like I'm used to it. Right. And like he did that stuff to me and I had and it didn't help the fact that I was had McMorning. And so I had everything bubbled up nice for him, right? Because McMorning starts turn one in a big bubble so he can get poison everywhere. Mm-hmm. And when I realized what was happening and that I was just getting dealt two and three damage and, and there was nothing I could do about it. There's no card I could cheat. There was no flip I could flip. Like it was just unanswerable, no uncontested damage that was coming out. Like I gave up turn two 
And I'm like, dude, they're like, this is just stupid. This is dumb. And, and it's probably the last time that I've like really kind of looked and said, this is, this is like, obviously I was losing. So I was pissed, but in my mind, it was like, this is bad for the game. Like, I feel like this is not mm-hmm. good to have that much uncontested damage. Um, so Brandon, did you know what was, what that was like? Had you seen that before or did you get spanked like I did? Um, I had a feeling it was coming. I just didn't think how fast it could come. That yeah. put uh, six damage on Yoku, Fuhatsu, and killed my Tanuki on the second activation. <laughs> I get so mad hearing about this. <laughs> oh yeah, it, it was bad. But luckily, I still had uh, Bill with the uh, Stoic Nan, and I was able to bring up Yoku and uh, Fuhatsu. He spent a lot of time killing Fuhatsu on that match, which brought in Ma. I had taken uh, Assassinate and Hold Up Their Forces. With uh, geishas, it's pretty good bringing them in, giving them slow, negative willpowers. Generally, get it pretty well. Uh, the game should have went a lot better because I also took assassinate and he dived Ma right into my crew. Yeah, but he just he loved flipping twelves and thirteens against Ma. <laughs> when I, every it seemed like every person that I attacked Ma with, he was like, oh, "Here's a 13. and it was, uh, it was a little frustrating, but. I was able to get around and get the one point of assassinate and one point of hold up the forces. But what really made the game was I was able to dictate where those idol markers went yeah. and just kept something right there and was able to just flick them over. Yeah, it's funny. You know, Yoku, of course, we haven't seen a ton of Yoku on the table because she's relatively new. And uh, I, I'm a little ashamed that I hadn't thought about how just strong she would be into idols. Now, Brandon, question for you on that though. Does she have the the uh, the wounds to give for idols? Um, I mean, obviously, she could dictate where the idols are going to be, but um, like, does she have throwaway health or good healing? Uh, so I took a Fuhatsu Bill and a Tanuki, and with two healers, and then Fuhatsu has Juggernaut as well. Yeah, it gives me enough healing to be able to do that. That makes sense. But her herself, she doesn't really have that much extra health. Yeah. Yep. I think the healing part of idols is 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 like a, a decent first read element that you see. But the more I've played idols, it, it just it feels like you need AP volume and then something else to either draw a bunch of severes way more than the heal. Because a lot of the time, moving the idol one inch is the correct play anyway. Right. So mm-hmm. I don't feel like the heels is the most important part of idols. So, sure. so kind of like, well, I, I guess that's what I'm mean by kind of like the throwaway wounds, right? Which mm-hmm. is that, that AP efficiency, but that's well said, Cody. Well, uh, Bill also is good with that as well. Cause his ability, whenever they reveal a scheme, he heals three and gains fast. So you get the best of both worlds. Yeah. He was kind of bouncing back and forth between the idols and keeping his models away from the center where I was dropping them and kind of playing a jack of all trades. So, John, question for you. Like, generally speaking, kind of similar, you know, what Cody was saying, what, what is your take on idols? Like, what do you think is kind of some of the secret sauce that, regardless of faction, people need to think about when going into idols? Um, the way I see idols is more mobility. Um, maybe, maybe this is just speaking as an Arcanist player. We don't have a lot to control initiative. Um, we do have some decent fast options, so 
I try to look at it as more the idols are going to drop where they're going to drop, and it's important to get to them mm-hmm. and also be able to spread out and not have your crew just fall apart. So maybe I think that's definitely like faction specific. Yeah, yeah, because you, you you don't have the you don't have the control of initiative that other factions have, so that makes right. sense where then you would have to fall back on mobility. Right, we can control the board with some with some uh, masters, Raspy and Karis, um, and that is a decent option. But you have to know where the idols are going to be, so it's like, yeah. So, John, John, when you normally when you play idols, it sounds like on this one you kind of spread out. Is that your normal play? Is to kind of spread out and be ready to go, or do you or do you like to push to one side and hope for the best? I try to spread out. I try to have at least one model that can be pretty independent and hop over to the other side if need be. Um, you're, this is going to trigger you, I know, but Soulstone Miners are pretty good. decent at that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I've also seen, obviously not relevant in this tournament because it was a singles, but Mei Fang as a second master uh, seems to be really, really good. For that items. makes sense. That makes sense. And it, it, because of the position you're in and, and your approach to it, I mean, mobility is everything, right? Because you have to yeah. adjust on the fly depending on how that initiative goes. Yeah, so it's it's like you can set up on one side, have like seventy to eighty percent of your stuff there, and then just you know send one good thing the other way. Yep, and then and have the mobility to adjust as need be. Yep, that makes sense. Okay, guys, let's take another break. Uh, when we get back from this break, we're going to talk about round four. Uh, so this is the start of day two, and uh, it was standard plant explosives. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Alexander Zdenchuk from Riga, Latvia, and I'm a patron of Third Floor Wars. Those guys open the beauty of Malifaux Third Edition to me and continue to provide tons of great content. You can support them too. Follow the links in the show notes below or search for Third Floor Wars at patreon.com. So how much are three or four of these episodes worth to you a month? Third Floor Wars has a Patreon, and if you think they're worth a dollar, five dollars, twenty dollars a month, swing by and become a patron. We have polls to decide the next episode of the pod, along with early releases of articles and podcasts. Everything we release goes out to everyone, but sometimes our patrons get a head start. The link is in the show notes, or just search for Third Floor Wars on Patreon.com. Thanks for the support. Wow, did we get an influx of patrons. Uh, I want to give a special thanks to Florian, Carl Lee, Jeff Mansker, Nathan Linder, Maximilian, Verse, Carlton Oldham, Roman Heckenberger, Astra Cry, Tomas, Anthony Dudden, Klaas, Jonathan Clark, Paul Mason, Atticus Porter, Michael Pace, Rufus, Zach Rogan, Ola Sten, and Joss Gadja. Thanks so much. All right, so at the beginning of day two, uh, round four is a standard deployment with plant explosives. The schemes are breakthrough, harness the ley line, dig their graves, take prisoner, and deliver a message. Now, John, you played uh, kind of one of the hotter uh, players that we've had here in the Carolinas Conference, Damian Guy, um, and he's playing uh, uh, Bayou, and normally a reser player, but I think he brought Bayou to this uh, event. And um, he was... Um, as he was, and for those of you that are listening, you may remember Damien from uh, the live stream. He was the Ma Tucker player on the recent live stream. Uh, but you had a nice little win there. I mean, holding Ma, holding uh, Bayou to three points is good. You won 5-3. What happened? 
Yeah, this was a weird one. Um, it, it felt like I was behind the entire game, but points-wise, I was ahead. Um, he played Maw in this round. I played Marcus. Uh, I like Marcus in Plant Explosives for the mobility, just being able to just shove everything across the center line. Um, but he started doing the whole, like, Maw's passing out focus to everyone, so it's like, all right, I, I'm just going to have to weather the storm because I can't stop this from happening. He had the whole, like, I think it was two Rooster Riders, two Bushwhackers, um, so it's just like run everyone up into cover and just pray. Yeah. Um, and he did kill some stuff, um, like pretty early on. He got rid of Jackalope. He severely wounded Marcus. Um, but as the game went on, I started to score points and he just kept trying to dump AP into killing my stuff. And he almost succeeded at a lot of different points. Um, Miranda was clutch with the healing. I usually don't use her for that, but that was definitely what kept me in this game now it's my understanding john everybody tells me that marcus is garbage um it sounds like marcus does have play he does it depends i feel like on the faction that you're playing against um and also because it was a singles uh format i was more comfortable bringing him because if there's a threat of like jackdaw or zoraida or anything like that um that can punish him for having his upgrades yeah I would never take him if they could just drop that as a second master. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, so key moments. So you, you say, you know, the whole time you felt like you were behind, but you're just kind of scoring points. Do you, do you think just Damien just got too, too tunnel visioned and wasn't paying attention or what was, what allowed you to come out of here? I think that was part of it. Um, I don't feel like there was any key moment. It was just like a slog through the whole thing. Um, I was able to deal with his uh, soulstone miner, one of his soulstone miners um, right off the bat. With my Cerberus. Right. Um, he was clever with it, though. He, like, suicided it by walking over his own pit trap so that the bomb wouldn't be given to my Sabretooth. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. So that's that, a good that, play. Was, that was a good play. Yeah. yeah. I can appreciate that. Very um, nice. So it's a nice uh, nice two-point win for you, John. So, Brandon, you played uh, uh, David Longton. He comes out of the Great Lakes Conference. He's one of those guys that hopped on a plane and came into play, which was uh, was great. David got a chance to spend time with David Friday night um, at the arcade uh, before the uh, event. Um and uh, he's, from my understanding, one of the stronger players coming out of the Great Lace Conference. And uh, you squeaked out a 4-3 win. Yeah. Um, when we uh, got back, I didn't realize who he was, but we were actually staying at the same hotel. And uh, John actually gave him a ride back to the hotel. And we're sitting there talking about strategies on game four, not realizing I'm playing <laughs> against my opponent. Um, so then I'm going to do this. <laughs> So, but, uh, so the, the, the fact that David pulled out a notebook and started writing shit down didn't tip it off. <laughs> um, well, no, because it was all theories. I had no clue what to play. Um, I was going to go with May, but I was afraid that he was going to bring a uh, Von Stuck, and Von Stuck just destroys May. Yeah. So I finally we were talking to him. Like, you know what? I don't care. I'm bringing May. It's my strongest. I'm coming. When I get to the field, I look at it, and we're just – it's a giant water trap in the middle with lakes going in every direction, severe covering at least almost half the terrain. Wow. So I decided to uh, audible to uh, Lynch and the uh, – I call them the 10 Thunder All-Stars of uh, Lynch with Huggy, Dawn Serpent, Shadow Emissary, and Yasunori. Yep. And a little bit of tech picks. He picked uh, Yanlo. 
So I tech picked in a charm order for the anti demise ability, which really came into play. Uh, put him on the back foot real early on turn one. With Mast Agent on Yasunori, I was able to charge into his Manos and kill Manos with two bombs on the top of turn two. Even even with the anti charge aura? Yeah, because I was able to bring in uh, Yasunori. So I used Huggy to obey Yasunori up a little bit. And then I still charged with Yasunori, uh, even though I didn't get the attack, but it brought the Charm Order with him. Oh, right. So it dropped Yasunori and the Charm Order right off in uh, Manos's face. Got two attacks with uh, Yasunori and then got my two attacks with my Charm Order on turn one. And because of the Charm Order, there's no demise. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Ten thunders are fine. Everything's fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So many yeah. tech picks, dude. <laughs> God insane. damn. That's good, Brandon. That's real yeah. nice. Great, great tech pick, dude. Tight game. So I'm, I'm anxious to hear, you know, where you think th- everything made a difference. I picked very bad schemes, and I think he did too. We were both in the boat. He was uh, working on a, uh, his finals for his paper for his college all weekend. Yeah, which, David's uh, in law school and like literally was writing papers the night before. Yeah. So I don't think his mind was all there. And of course with me not having enough experience with the 10 thunders, I really didn't know too much. We both picked very bad schemes. Uh, I actually picked, um, hold up there or not hold up the forces, uh, breakthrough and take prisoner on the dead rider. Oh, okay. Yeah. And my thought was with the beckoner, I could bring the back. I can bring the rider in, ignoring all that severe, which I was able to get one point of each of them, and then I was able to get my bombs down, which he picked up some. But uh, one of his other big mistakes, which won me the game, or I don't want to say more or less lost in the game, was he was uh, engaged with the rider, and he was debating. And he wanted to disengage and go drop bombs on turn four when he could have just ride with me and dropped bombs. Then you didn't have to take the disengage and he could have still interacted, which would have won in the game. So I got a little lucky there. Yeah, definitely. It's easy to forget that, though. It's easy to think of ride with me as only being something that's useful if you're going to drag something with you. But it's a push. It's a free push. Not a free push, but it's a, it's a push that allows you to get disengaged, even if you don't take advantage of bringing somebody with you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's easy to get tunnel vision on that. Um, so that that's good. Um, had had you had a lot of experience with Rezer Yanlo up to that point? Uh, not the Rezer's Yanlo. I've uh, played against our local John. He plays 10 Thunders Yanlo. So I've had a little bit of experience with that, but um, I wasn't used to playing against uh, what is the armor guy? Uh, Imazu? Izamu. Izamu. That's it. Yeah. yeah, he brought in Izamu, and I had a hard time dealing with the armor and the yeah. Dead Rider. I didn't play against them, too. So. Well, I was about to say that one of the big things is that Dead Rider can be a, a big surprise if you're not used to playing uh, into Rezzers. And I think you're we're starting to see the Rezzers uh, bringing Dead Rider a little bit more because um, I do think he's one of the better riders out there. And uh, he has a chance to uh, have a huge game impact come turn three, turn four. 
Um, so nice wing against a, a very strong player, Brandon. So uh, good for you. Cody, uh, you played a good buddy of ours, Owen. Yeah. Um, out of the Capital City Conference. Uh, you guys did the uh, Terra Deep Dive together. So I assume it was Terra versus Terra. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> so, man, I have thought so much about round four. I think it's a very weird um, pool for Outcast. So, I mean, before I talk about that, going into day two, um, my kitchen table games came into very big for uh, both of these rounds. So for this one, I've obviously played Outcast against, and I'm not, I'm not like a complete loser. Like, so <laughs> like the system I have with my wife right now is she wakes up early to take care of the seven month old and then she goes to sleep early. And I have to, you know, dream feed her and take care of the baby until like 11 o'clock. And I can't be like, you know, screaming at 12 year olds on the internet, like playing video games. I have to be kind of quiet. So that's why I'm mostly playing on my kitchen table, like every night for the past, like, like six months or something. So I'm not a complete loser. I just played against myself a bunch. And it helped a lot for these two rounds because. Going into round four, it's plant standard. It's a super weird pool. I know I don't want to play the Terra Mirror just yeah. because that sounds miserable. We can both punch each other while we're buried, so we don't bury, I guess. I don't I don't know. Who knows? Who cares? It sounds just dumb. Uh, so I didn't want to do that. Um, Vix is really good in this pool, but it folds to Levy. It's a decent Terra round, like I said, but I don't like Terra in standard, and it's will get cracked by Zip. Right uh, in this round, uh, but Vix just like stomps it, and so it's a very weird sort of situation. And so my big meta reads going into this whole tournament was that Shenlong might be a problem, and Levy might be a problem. And I think those both of those meta reads were right because yep. a teaser for your 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 data deep dive that you're going to do on this tournament data. Levy had a pretty abundant showing, and I think the record's probably going to be that he had a, a, a pretty positive rating yeah. as well. Yeah. And uh, so I practiced the Levy mirror a bunch, and it's crazy deep. It's weird. It's weird how crazy deep it is. Like, the higher encounters go super deep down the rock, paper, scissors, rabbit hole. Yep. It's very cool. And I knew Owen was doing your Levy deep dive. Yep. So I thought Owen was going to give me the Levy mirror, and I had some 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 secret stuff up my sleeves that I was ready for. But instead I declared Levy and he declared Terra. Boo. Oh wow. Boring. Snooze. So that's what the matchup was at least. <laughs> right. So um this game was I mean it's typical Terra stuff. He he spends like, you know, three turns buying time. I spend three turns uh killing summons and trying to threaten Aonis. I had a pretty good play with Ashes and Dust because he's nihilist, so he can't use him as like a summoning beacon, right? Uh, because he can't apply fast to him really. Um, but the story of this game was probably the end of turn three, beginning of turn four, where Owen telegraphed a very hard uh, dig their graves on my Necropunk, who also had two bombs on him due to some models dying, and he failed to get this at turn three. I think the last card I flipped was Red Joker. And it denied him killing him, dig their graves. So first activation, he goes with nothing beast, goes for the necro. 
I think his first punch leaves him on one with hard to wound and the armor. And then the second punch, I flip like a one. I say, go ahead. And he flips two cards. The second of those cards is the Black Joker. Ugh. So that would mean he didn't kill the Necropunk again. Who's going to leap out, plant a bomb, get away from that scheme marker. Yeah. And then he's, uh, for a second, we're like, oh, wait, you didn't count for hard to wound, did you? And he's like, no. And the second card was the black. So he puts the black on the top of the deck. And so, so Owen was a great sport about this because he had flipped the black. I wasn't there yelling at him, hard to win, hard to win. You know what I mean? So yeah. we, we had just sort of a momentary lapse in the conversation there. And he was a good sport to put the black on top of the deck, which I feel like is the only real way to resolve that situation anyway. Yeah, I like to shuffle it back in, but yeah, I'm with you. The black is, I don't know. It's very, no, it's, it's different with the black moment. No, yeah. I agree. I agree. But because the black is on top of the deck, my first activation, Levy goes, he shoots Aonis for four, killing him because he only had four health left. And yep. then he shoots a nothing beast for two, killing him because he only had two left. See, that's the problem I have, Cody, is that, that you're you're now working with information you shouldn't have. Yeah. Uh, it didn't change my what I was going to do, but it definitely made it where... It was a far more informed choice. Yeah, it was. It, it, I would have did the same play anyway. I would have just had to probably know I was going to have to waste Severe's out of my hand. Right. Instead, I just got it for free. Yep. Um, so Owen was great there. Um, and maybe we'll talk about this... Uh, well, maybe Pravlik can sort of speak about this, but the problem with Terra is if you let Aeonis and Terra live to turn five with the four pass tokens and the five AP active, spammable AP, it's almost a guaranteed three point swing. So killing Aeonis on turn four basically meant that instead of Terra going last activation, you know, with three activations up on me, I got to go with Midnight Stalker last. So instead of Terra leaping around and scoring three points. Midnight Stalker got to leap around and got three it. points. So I won that game, uh, I believe it was 8-6. Yeah, 8-6. Got it. Um, yeah, there, that must have been uh, – because <laughs> cause it's round four, so you have all night. You know who you're going to play. Um, you know, And you and Owen have talked outcasts before. Um, that must have been a nice little – but if, what if I bring this and then he brings that? Um, I, 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 bet, I bet that was a bit of a rabbit hole. Yeah, we didn't talk too much about it, which I think was the best way to yeah. do it. <laughs> That's funny. Maybe we could have arrived on a consensus where we play, like, I don't know, Von Schilbeer or something. But that sounds boring, too. It's all boring. Oh, uh, it's funny. And then Mira, that would have been... That uh, would have been something dumb. we haven't seen. <laughs> For good reason. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the factions have a lot of really weird, like, faction mirror um, yeah. things to consider. Like what, John? Uh, well, for Arcanist, for example, uh, if you bring Raspi on Raspi, uh, everyone's ice pillars are going to slow everyone. Yeah. Um, that sounds That's awful. Silly. Wow. <laughs> and um, then you have, like, Karis on Raspi. Um, Raspi can't put the ice pillars on pyre markers, so then you stop using pyre markers to damage things and start using them to stop uh, them from putting ice pillars right. around. And it's just, it's a lot of weird things to consider. And I feel like a lot of factions probably have that, too. Yeah. All right, guys, let's take another break. When we get back, we're going to talk about the final round. Um, now, as it worked out, each of you guys were at the first table, second table, and third table, um, which you don't always see that happen, where you have, you know, first, second, and third tables, and then the winners of all three of those end up being first, second, and third. Uh, so it's kind of interesting. It's a corners turf war um, uh, pool, so we'll be right back. 
Howdy folks, Craig here. Now if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. All right, so round five, it's Corners Turf War. Uh, schemes are Hold Up Their Forces, Power Ritual, Outflank, Deliver a Message, and Vendetta. Um, so, John, you were on the third table. Uh, and you played a, a real good guy who I've played before, Andrew McHenry, and he's out of the Southeast Conference, and uh, you eked out a nice little 4-3 win. Yeah, this was a close one. Um, he brought Terra, which, yeah, that, that figures. A lot, yeah. of, a lot of Terra, a lot of Outcasts. Um, I brought Rasputina this round. Uh, my plan, regardless of what he brought, was to just try to play like a stall game with Raspy, and it worked just enough here. Um well, what does that mean, John? What does a stall game with Raspy mean? Uh, so it's funny. Brandon mentioned that he really likes the mech rider. I really, really dislike it. Uh, but in this particular setup, it was just what I needed to score my points and keep it alive. And so what I mean by stall game is that I was using Raspy to uh, block off some of the markers after I'd flipped them for turf war. Um, and then I sent the Steam Arachnid Swarm and the Blessed of December down one flank by themselves um, to go get one point for Vendetta. That's all I wanted to get out of them. And the main thing was to just draw his forces over to that flank that was completely away from everything else that I had. Right. So I ended up getting my one point for Vendetta against Mad Dog. It was the uh, Blessed onto Mad Dog. Um, and then he kills them both. But I'm like, whatever. You're now in this corner of the board. And it's like turn two. You've activated all this stuff. So you only have three turns left and they're all the way over there. Um, and so that leaves Raspy free to just try to, you know, control the board a bit. He, he can still blow it to hell on the markers and get rid of them. But I just spread them out so that I still have threat ranges. Yep. Um, I spent some time just sniping some of his like minions um, to unflip his markers so that he had to either lose the points or waste more AP to go back and reflip them. Um, and then I guess the key thing by the end of the game was having the mech rider reactivate itself, uh, twice. Actually, I think it did all three turns, uh, nice. turn three, four and five. Uh, but the big thing was being able to score, um, power ritual in a way that he couldn't really stop because I just, you know, drop it, walk twice, reactivate, walk twice again, throw it another six inches. Um, and by that point he can't stop, uh, power ritual without giving up something else. So, right. That was the last point that I needed to win. Very nice, John. That's a, that's a strong win, and uh, Andrew's a good player. So that's uh, to be able to eke out a win against Andrew is uh, is impressive. So well yeah, done. And he definitely like if it could go to turn six, like in second edition, he absolutely would have taken this. Right. Um, it was it was me planning. Okay, I need this much um, time. I, I have to buy myself this much time to win it, and yeah. So, uh, Brandon, uh, you're on second table. Uh, you are playing Michael Roper, who uh, in the previous round, uh, uh, John had a chance to play against. You uh, won nice win, 7-5 win. Uh, what did you bring? What did Michael bring? Uh, so I brought uh, Mayfang again with uh, 
pretty much the the standard list that I like to bring her with the Sparks Metal Gaiman, uh, two of them, a Survivor and the uh, the Metal Golem, and I also brought in a Shadow Emissary. Uh, he declared zip, so I brought in the Shadow Emissary with the Masked Agent to get away, get around those uh, pesky piano markers. Yep. Which, uh, really, I don't think he was expecting that, because turn one, he brought Zip up a little bit too far and dropped piano markers, almost shutting off my deployment zone. But thanks to you know the Shadow Emissary, I was just able to charge into him, and at the end of round one, uh Spark or uh, Zip was surrounded by a metal golem, the Shadow Emissary, and May. So it wasn't too good of a time for Zip. Yeah, and for those that aren't familiar with it, why why did Mast Agent make the difference there? Uh, Mast Agent shuts off his defensive trigger, so he right. can't run away. Right, which is really a, the big thing that keeps Zip going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so you're, uh, you have an opportunity now to go in on Zip, and Zip can't use his defensive trigger to get away. Yeah, I was able to uh, take out Zip at the uh, second activation of turn two. That's huge. Um, he was able to bring in the first mate to kill the Shadow Emissary, but I'll take a Shadow Emissary for a Master any day. Yeah, that's a good trade. Yeah, and uh, after Zip was gone, I was able to take May and the Rail Golem and just send them up one flank to deny... His second point of outflank, which he was able to get turned to, because I just wasn't quick enough to get up there. And uh, the Midnight Stalker, just I, I couldn't keep up with him at all. So yeah. he got the other point. Uh, my last one is I had taken hold up their forces. And uh, insignificant totems are the best being able to teleport 42 inches or uh, 24 inches up the board to get next to something. That seems good. And uh, survivors are really good for that too, because uh, I had the the a high crow in my hand to throw. I'm sorry, not a crow, the uh, tome to shoot something 14 or you know 14 inches away. Throw a uh, declared trigger. Throw their arms at them. Drop a scrap marker in base contact with the midnight stalker. Finally to teleport my survivor into uh, base contact with them for my second point of hold up their forces at the end. Very nice. Very nice. That's good. Um, yeah, that's a nice win. To be a uh, round five, To it, as soon as you start winning by two, three points, um, it's, a, it's a big deal because generally round five, you tend to, tend to have pretty close games considering how the matchups worked. So, Cody, your top table, you go up against uh, uh, Nick um, from uh, the Carolina mm-hmm. Conference, and uh, have a nice seven four win. And by the for those of you that uh, weren't there, um, uh, we let them play all five rounds, and there was probably ten people huddled around you guys watching that last I think turn and a half. Uh, so walk walk me through what happens here. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think Nick's actually from Capital City, right? He's a Virginia Beach guy. Oh uh, yeah, what did I say? Did I say it's a Carolina. Oh yeah, no, but, he's yeah, Capital Nick, City. Yeah, Nick was great. He was super cheerful. We were really uh, we were talking it up in the beginning, and he was a super nice guy. One of and, one of the nicest people you'll you'll meet to play yeah. a game with. I mean, he's just super agreeable. Knows his stuff. He's very focused. He's a clean player. Uh, real, real good guy. Uh, the problem is, is, he's also really good. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's definitely a threat. If I was uh, if I was a person angling or, or looking forward. 
towards that October tournament through the Invitational, I would be definitely afraid of Nicholas and the other yeah. two guys on here for sure. Uh, so yeah, Nick was great. Um, and uh, I've played against the Shenlong list uh, that won the English GT on my kitchen table like 10 times. And I just arrived at the point where I was just like, I, I have no options. I, I just hope I don't get this in a killie pool. And if I get it in a Terra round, then I'll play Terra and that'll be great. And right. luckily, uh, not only did I get this exact Shenlong list, but I got it, uh, but I got it in the Terra pool, which was insanely lucky. If I play Nick any other round of the tournament, I lose. That's yep. like just for sure. Uh, so I got very lucky here. Um, so I love Terra in this pool. And just for a brief uh, recap, so this is it was Corner Turf, and so I'll let the other two guys jump in on this too. Um, when I'm I think the initial read when you when you look at like corner turf and stuff is that mobility is the most important part of this type of strategy, uh, and I think the, uh, the the first read of turf war in general is that if you get on the other side of the board, you win because your deaths don't count and their deaths do. But the more I've been playing turf, the more I'm thinking that that is how the game operates in a a match where you were going to win the game anyway, where you're going to stomp them out. So you're, you're screaming across the board and you kill them just because you're better. Right. And in very close games, what really matters is activation control, having a lot of AP on the board and uh, less the position because almost all of my close games in turf, like my master, the last turn of the game walk, walks and flips a button, like presses the turf marker. Have any of you guys had like a similar experience? Um, yeah, I kind of, that's one reason why I like taking May so much is the mobility of getting back and forth to the, uh, markers of being able to first two turns. I generally just lay out a network of scrap markers and I tend to, sometimes I don't even score the second point on turn three. I'm more worried about trying to get those, uh, lanes to get those markers late turns on three and four or four and five. I think, yeah, it's just like activation control ends up being so important. Like the last activation of turn five, if you're in a very close game, like matters super important. And that's the way this terror game really came down to that. I brought my Hannah and Sca Scavenger out of keyword for my OP combo so that maybe they could kill Yas or Kitty or something like that. And the first few turns went really well. I was able to bog him down with wretches and he was summing so many of those stupid paper boys. God, Minoko, is that her name? Minoko? Yeah. Minoko? Yeah. She's so stupid. Yeah, she's good. She's she's like guaranteed to going to that she will make more points than her cost. Uh, she's insane. Yeah. Uh, he, he summoned like as many paper boys as I summoned void wretches with playing my summer master, uh, which I should have, which should have telegraphed his schemes, but it didn't really. So the important part going into turn five is that. At the end of turn four, I had he had punched in my left flank. I had punched in his right flank, but he had outflank and I didn't. So I didn't right. care about losing a flank. Um, and by punching in, I mean I killed two models that were actually killable and then buried Yasunori. So when he comes back up, he's, he's flopping the other side of the board. Yep. Um, and turn four, at the end of turn four, he makes a very awesome move to move up and score his hold up the forces on my left side of the board with my Hannah and my scavenger. 
but this gives me a, a huge leg up going into turn five because he can't kill those models or he won't have a way to score hold up. Right. Uh, so going into turn five, it looked like a tie game until I did Terra shenanigans and I generated four pass tokens and just waited out all of his activations. Um, and Nicholas had a very good sportsman move here that I want to highlight because at one point I asked him, <laughs> wait, before I do that, we got to talk about, I guess, uh, the reason our game took like 15 minutes extra is first activation of turn five. Hannah's on two HP. It's the only way for him to score, hold up the forces. Uh, I think that she can damage herself for a suit and kill herself. So I do that. And then we call you over call Jesse over, call Jeff over, call everyone over to see if that's actually legal. Right. And you can't do that because... Because there's the, a choice. Yeah. So with Levy, the May, the, the choice is on the thing you do, not on the take damage part. Correct. But with Hannah, the choice is on the take damage part. Right. So to clarify for those listening, and with Hannah, it says you may take damage to do X. And in that case, you can't kill yourself because you're choosing to take damage. Whereas in Levy, you're not choosing to take damage. The choice is somewhere else. Uh, so Nick was a great sportsman about that. Uh, he, he did this awesome play where he, he activated Shenlong, put on a stupid healing upgrade, and healed Aunt Hannah like 9 HP. <laughs> uh, so I'm like, oh, touche. Uh, but, but I had to liver. So I go, um, is there any way you can move Shenlong? He's like, no, I don't think so. So I have my scavenger leap out of melee and plant a scheme marker right underneath Shenlong. And uh, then he goes, oh, wait, actually, Yasunori is about to come up from being buried and he can move them. So he lets me move it back. And nice. Yeah. So that's Nick though. That's good. Yeah, he did great. Yeah. Uh, that was the correct way. So basically the way it came down is, uh, I just generate my four pass tokens. And after he's done doing everything, um, I, a scavenger still leaps out. He plants a scheme marker. Tara screams across the board with like three leaps, drops too fast, summons two models, scores my second hold up and I get the third marker. So, at a three-point swing pretty easily. Yeah, and, and the game was a lot tighter than that 7-4 oh, shows. Yeah. Um, I yeah, I scored three points after he was done activating on 3-5. Right, right. Yeah. He, was done, he was done playing yeah. at that point, and you scored three points. And um, So during one of the breaks, um, we had kind of a side chat, and I want to kind of bring it back here to the to, so everybody can hear it. Um, and it kind of ties closely, Cody, to what you were talking about. So uh, you, Brandon, and John and I were talking about Yoku, but um, I think we need to start about, you know, you talking about pass tokens because, you know, pass tokens came into play to help mitigate activation control. And a lot of people are talking about how activation control is not a thing anymore. And I think we need to be very careful when we say that activation control is a thing. It's just not as easy to get as it used to be. Right. Mm -hmm. You used to just be able to spam models. Um, so, Cody, let's talk about pass tokens and activation control. Yeah. So the, the thing with Tara is she doesn't function without them because she has to put fast on models. And if you're not out activating, you're just buffing the enemy models. But it ends up making this weird situation that we've been talking about where if Aonis and Terra are alive on turn five, I get a three-point swing for free. Yep. Which is, is pretty messed up, especially if you don't know that you need to pri prioritize killing those very killable models as soon as possible. Um, and yeah, with Yoko, I, I feel like there's a lot of untapped potential in just basically doing the exact same strategy. I've seen a lot of people using those pass tokens for leverage and like a plus flip. That's, that's nothing like Parker has that on all of his crappy minions. 
So like, I don't know, uh, Brandon, if you've been, uh, thinking of Yoko more along the same lines as I've been thinking about Terra. So, yeah, I started the first couple games. I fell into that leverage trap. Uh, I still do it every once in a while, but I was wasting a lot of pass tokens to get those positive flips. And the more I saw them, it was a lot better to use them for the activation control and also the initiative flips as well. Because if I can go last with a Hinamatsu and put four to six attacks into somebody and guarantee my first activation, I'm wiping a model off the table, any model I want almost. Yeah, I kind of feel like you should look at them similar to soul stones, how you can stone for a positive, and sometimes that's the right move. But generally, you don't want to do that because that's not an efficient use of your stones. And I feel like with Yoko, you get the same situation just with a different resource. That's a good analogy, John. You know, just Mm -hmm. because you can doesn't mean you should, right? Yeah. Yeah, so there's an, and I'm not saying this is an answer, but um, it was kind of interesting. And, and so I've been playing some Marvel Crisis Protocol lately, and they have a pass mechanic in that, but it's it's super simple, which is if you're a, if it's your turn and your opponent has more active models left than you do, you can just pass. So it's not a it's not a, a resource. It's not something you pick up and use. It's just like like it's impossible to be out activated. In, in Marvel Crisis Protocol, unless you let it happen, um, which I don't think we could do in Malifaux, right? Because it's not as simple of a game and the model counts higher. But um, it, it, I thought it was an interesting approach to this. Um, and, I, and, and I don't know. I struggle with it because, you know, part of me says, you know, that shouldn't be a thing. You shouldn't, it shouldn't, it shouldn't ever be in a situation where your opponent has four unanswered activations or three unanswered activations or two unanswered activations at the end of the turn, unless you've let it happen. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Killing a single activation can basically win you a turn four game. I feel like if you just, Oh, oh, I got last activation. Checkmate. Yeah. 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 I'm not sure. Uh, That's also why I think uh, Yoku is so strong into the idols. Because you can kick the idols back on my side, but if I have activation control, at the end of my yeah. turn, I can just throw them right back onto your side, and you have no answer to it as well. Yeah. Yeah, and and the, and the reason, for those of you that, you know, maybe haven't processed this yet, you know, to, to have one or two unanswered activations at the end of the turn is huge because those one or two things happen, the opponent doesn't react, and then you score. And, like, it's hard to explain like at a theory level, you have to see it and feel it. Um, and when it's done to you, you just realize how huge it is that you sit back and you're done playing for that turn. Your opponent still has one or two models left to go and there's nothing you can do to do about it. And then we score and then we start in the next turn, especially on turn five. If there is no next turn. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And the one thing that's important is that, um, this doesn't like devolve into it. Uh, a developer conversation, right? What, which none what, of us are good at. So, yeah. <laughs> what, I'm try- what I'm trying to say is like, like pass tokens, like activation control. What it is is in the name. It's a control effect, and True. if you do, if you do not uh, correctly assess that you are being controlled by these pass tokens, and you don't do not play a little risky, you do not scream across. You have to scream across the board and kill Ionis. You yeah. have to scream across the board and kill those stupid Tanuki or whatever that's going to give Yoko staying power. Like you have to realize that activation control model, like uh, models, uh, are control models. Yep. No, that's a good point, Cody. I mean, it, it, 
we bitch about it because maybe we're bad against it and, and, yeah. and, and we let it happen, right? Yeah. And also, I think it's just a new mechanic uh, because we had like board control, we had hand control in second edition and all that stuff, but we've never had um, something like this because there's always been activation control, but that was just based on models, right? And getting more of them, but this is something different that I think people are still adjusting to. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. Well, gentlemen, uh, congratulations. That was, uh, you know, we had almost 30 people there. Um, uh, a really tough competitive field. Um, there wasn't a, it wasn't a cakewalk in the place. And, uh, for you guys to, uh, make podium, um, is a big deal. Um, uh, before we head out, uh, uh, Brandon, John, do you have anything you guys want to plug? Nothing uh, not I can here, say. No. All right. Um, uh, Cody, how about you? Uh, yo, shout out the floor heads. What's up? Um, <laughs> buy those shirts. <laughs> so, yeah, like I said, I, I don't know if I'll have the shirts out by the time this gets released, but uh, the design process has begun. Um, uh, I've got to just goof it around with some other things. I can't wait uh, to see. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, John and Brandon, I look forward to having you back on the show um, uh, again soon. And uh, Cody, at this point, I think we got to just say enough's enough, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. You guys have a good one. Thanks for listening. Take care. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest gaming apparel and gear. While you're there, check out how the USFO Tour is shaping up. How does your conference compare to the others in the United States? Where do you rank nationally? Get those models built, painted, and on the table so we can see you at the U.S. Masters Invitational in October of 2020. Also, rate and write a review on this podcast for us. It really helps us find people almost as cool as you are. Thanks for listening. Howdy friend, Craig here. Is this episode making you realize you need to buy some models? Gadzooks Gaming is my favorite online retailer because of their large selection, killer prices, and great customer service. Don't you hate buying an entire crew box when you only need one model? Gadzooks sells crew box models individually and saves you a ton of money. They even have free shipping to the U.S. and Canada if you spend $100 or more. Swing by gadzooksgaming.com and make sure you tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. All the details are in the show notes. All right. We are ripping through this pretty good, guys, for five rounds. I appreciate it. Yeah. We're going too fast. Do we need to? No, we're good. We're good because we're we're at an hour and a half right now. Um, So we'll end up under two hours. Cool. Awesome. I won't do a... uh, you know what I might do though? Um, I might prompt you, Cody, to uh, talk about Yoko a little bit at the very end because that conversation we had during the break, I think, is a good one, and Brandon can come in and jump in. Um, so I might tee you off at the very end. Yeah, uh, I'm going to complain about pass tokens again when I go to my fifth round. So Perfect. That's Perfect. A decent segue. <laughs> All right. Good. <laughs> All right. God, I hate Tara so much. Yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> was that like your first time, John? Really, like seeing it was. Uh, yeah, it, it, I saw I saw a bit of it on the live stream. I didn't catch yeah. the the entire game, and I still you have to see it oh. in person to understand what you, is about to happen. You have to have very uh, particular target selection because if you just let certain models slip to turn five, uh, it's a yeah. free three to four point swing. Yeah, like you have to know what to kill. 
there are moments when you go up against Tar where you're like, like, I, I got nothing. Like, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do to answer any I know, of this that's, bullshit. That's what my yeah. entire game was. The past tokens turn are, are yeah. pretty big NPE, but she wouldn't function without them. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised I haven't seen more Yoko players playing like Brandon's talk about, where it's like, I've seen so many Yoko, like, every time I've seen Yoko, they're using the past tokens for that lever, that the plus flips. Like, that seems like such a massive waste of that resource. Like, yeah, past yeah that is pretty inefficient. Busted. Like, <laughs> activation control is busted. Yeah. Yeah. I actually took her into a tournament this weekend and almost made one of my local players quit because he thinks Yoku is now the, uh, the easy button. He just <laughs> ripping his control hand apart. He had no control hand every turn. Yeah. Negative flips on everything. It was just bad. You know, it's funny. I had that same experience at Nova, and I was ready to quit that game. Yeah, yeah. And I still won it. I still won uh, it. And I, the whole time, I was like, I don't want to be here. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, w- w- the thing about her is that she's so different. And it, the first time you go up against her, you're like, what the hell is going on right now? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And you, as as Malfo players, we are so reliant on our control hands. Like we build everything around it, and. You have something that can aggressively attack it like that, and it, that's brutal. All right. I'll bring us back for round four. 